your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Series 1-1 means it's a new series. EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer with you. We're going to be talking Knicks basketball, Knicks playoffs on this edition of the Orange and Blue Blood podcast, the New York Knicks podcast, WFN Odyssey original. We got Knicks and Heat in game three on Saturday in Miami. That's a Saturday afternoon tilt. So we're going to be talking about that game, giving you guys a preview of that game, giving you the latest on Jimmy Butler's status and what the Knicks need to do to find a way to come away from game three up to one as well as being down one, two. This is one of the more crucial games in the series. So uh, this is going to be a big one. Knicks got to take back home course. We'll break down how they got to do that. And then this is going to be a very interesting episode because the stories that happened around the Knicks this week were a little kind of off the beaten path beyond just the Knicks playoff series against the Heat. Game two was a big win. It seemed like people were very fascinated about the celebrities and how we were reacting to them that were in the stands in that game. So one of them being Carmelo Anthony, who's, of course, I thought a Knicks legend. But then that became a controversial topic on social media. Knicks uh, had a welcome Carmelo Anthony to the Garden on game two. And they named him a Knicks legend, but some people don't think that he's earned that moniker. So I'll ask Tommy if he thinks Melo is a Knicks legend. And we have to get into this whole Jessica Alba, Sauce Gardner, Aaron Rodgers, Julius Randle, whole thing that started at MSG uh, with a Julius Randle invite to Jessica Alba to the game. And that became a huge national story. So uh, I'll get Tommy's thoughts on that. And I have an interesting theory about how all of this the New York Knicks moving forward. So we got a great episode coming for you. Tommy joins me as always. Tommy, how are you feeling today? Sun is finally out here in New York after what seems yes. like a month straight of rain. So that's good news. And it's May and we got a Nick basketball playoff game to look forward to. So I certainly cannot complain, EJ. How you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. It felt like the April showers, you know, kind of crawled into May because it's been just terrible here in the New York area. But yeah, beautiful day this morning. My girlfriend went out to jury duty, texted me saying, oh my God, I can't believe how nice it is. Like, I think we just all kind of just expected that it was going to be cold and dreary and rainy, but that's that's not the case today. So hopefully that's a good sign for maybe things to shift for the Knicks as they head down to South Beach. So um, again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, WFN Odyssey original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app, Make sure you hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service so you get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week, so this will be the last episode this week. We'll be right back at it next week. So if you want to make sure you're getting these episodes, make sure you hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service. Also, check us out on YouTube. If you want to watch the video version of these podcasts, if you want to watch the video segments from these podcasts, go to YouTube, hit up the uh, WFN channel, hit up the Odyssey Sports channel. Make sure you give them a subscription and watch us on there. Make sure you give us a comment on those videos as well. We like to hear what you guys got to say about some of this stuff we're talking about here with the Knicks. So hit us up wherever you get your podcast, watch the videos on YouTube, and just sit back and relax and let's enjoy, enjoy the show. So let's begin with game three. The Knicks take their talents to South Beach as they get ready to square up with the Miami Heat for a crucial game three on the road. The Knicks and Heat split the first two games of the series with New York winning a crucial game two after dropping game one. All the attention in game three will be on Heat superstar Jimmy Butler, who is recovering from an ankle injury he suffered in game one. Butler was unable to take the court in game two. And uh, the Knicks, excuse me, the Heat, despite winning, leading most of the game in game two, were unable to 
close the game without their star and Jimmy Butler. So they lost game two, obviously, Knicks evening up the series. Videos posted by Chris Brickley showing Jimmy Butler getting shots up um, at the, the Miami Heat arena. So it looks like he's ramping up to play for game three, though the team did not give up a, give us a status update when they had practice and shoot around on Thursday. So meanwhile, for the Knicks, again, trying to take back home court advantage, dropping game one. Uh, they won game two with a big scoring night from their big three. You had Brunson, Randall, and Barrett combined for 79 points in the Knicks 108-101 victory on Tuesday. So I'll start with the Butler stuff with this because this has become the biggest story of this series. We've heard, again, no updates. We did see him getting shots up. But Jimmy has been kind of weird with social media. He seems to be kind of using it almost as like a ploy to kind of get people think he's playing. And then he didn't play in game two. So here again on social media working out. But does that mean he'll actually play? What do you think will happen? I know Julius Randle said that he expects Drew, uh, uh, Butler to play when he talked to the media yesterday. And that's how the Knicks are going to be preparing. Tip said he's preparing for both if Butler doesn't play or if he does. Do you think Butler will play? And if he does, how effective do you think he'll be? Yeah, I'd be really surprised if Butler did not play. Um, you know, everything's kind of been trending in that direction basically since Monday, um, you know, early in the week, right after the the initial injury. Um, you know, the, the, as you mentioned, the social media videos of him kind of sipping lattes, skipping around Manhattan. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, spoke kind of hinted at it, basically said we ran out of time kind of in the ramp up to uh, game two, um, you know, kind of intimating that had it, you know, the game been one day later or, you know, even a few hours later or something like that, maybe he would have got medical clearance. But um, I think it was their plan all along to give him that that day off and have him, you know, in order to be ready for game three and potentially the rest of the series. Um, and everything we've seen and heard since then kind of confirmed that suspicion. Um, you mentioned the the Brickley videos, you know, he's shooting 30 from 30 feet, you know, no brace, yeah. you know, just, you know, see, looks fluid, um, looks to be moving around well. So, certainly had the look of a player um, that's ready to play. And, you know, uh, Jimmy's mentality is to, if there's a, you know, if it's up to him, he's going to play. I'm sure the doctors probably had to put him in handcuffs to, to not allow him to play in game two. So, yeah, I definitely yeah. expect him to play. Um, how effective it will be, that's that's kind of the question. Um, I, I don't think we can take it for granted that he's going to be um, the full playoff Jimmy that we've seen. Um, and something also to keep in mind, because it impacts both the Knicks and the Heat, uh, we obviously have the long break from game two to game three. Um, you know, the Celtics played two games in between the, this, the, you know, the, the, the other East Coast series played two games. Yeah. Um, the Sixers Celtics in between the, the, the Knicks, uh, you know, playing games uh, two and three. Um, however, Knicks play Saturday afternoon, the Knicks heat Saturday afternoon, then Monday, then Wednesday. So it's just one day off going forward here. Yeah. Um, does Butler tweak an ankle? Does Brunson soreness kind of act up on him. Does Randall retweak his other ankle? You know, so there's just a lot of stuff there. They've they, both teams have had the luxury of, of a few days off. That is no longer a luxury going forward um, after game three. So we'll see how it uh, impacts both squads. Yeah, I think that's a good point regarding the long layoff they have right now and how that could will then change as the series moves on with those short days. So I think that's why the Heat wanted to take advantage of this time. You know, what you didn't want is Butler to play maybe in game two. He comes off feeling terrible or he re-aggravates the injury. And then, you no, know, he tries to rest up, but maybe he's not ready for game three. And now you only got one day between the rest of these games to try to get him right. So um, he gets hurt on Saturday. You give him the whole weekend up until the next week off until he can finally get out there and play. 
And now you hope that, okay, he maybe is beyond this ankle injury. It seems like he may have avoided something very serious. It looked very bad when it happened. So I think you'll play. Butler's a very interesting player. And we had Alex Dino on yesterday. Um, he was awesome. Um, Red Hot uh, Hoops podcast. Like, he mentioned how Butler played through that knee injury in the Celtics series. I actually forgot about, but he's 100% right. Butler had an injury that people thought that he was, like, maybe not going to finish the series. Or if he was, he was going to be very limited. And then he had that ridiculous game six in Boston where, you know, he kind of uh, channeled LeBron's game six uh, from years ago and and moved that series back to Miami. And then had a really good game seven, just missed the you know, open three that would have sent him to the NBA finals. Maybe would have won him a championship eventually. Like he's a guy that can play through injury. And he's a guy, I think also because of like the way he plays, I think he can kind of get around the court and know what he has to do to still be effective, even if he is kind of hobbled a little bit. So, you know, I, I have been for a while, the last few episodes, talking about how, man, if Butler's hobbled, I think the Knicks have a great chance. But when I started thinking about that and I started thinking about how Jimmy Butler plays, now I'm a little more concerned. I, I feel like he'll be fine. I think that he'll be able to still be really effective uh, despite this ankle injury because he's not a John Morant where he's trying to jump over guys and he's going to be using his speed. He's not – um, you know, some of these other really athletic, uber athletic players, a Zion Williamson, someone like that. He's a guy that plays mostly above the rim. He uses a lot of his angles, he uses a lot of his strength. And when you're playing on an ankle injury, I think that a lot of the things you have to do, you have to be very uh, deliberate. You have to be very um, intentional with your movements. You can't be anything extra movement, anything extra, uh, uh, you know, to try to maybe get yourself out of uh, balance that can maybe hurt yourself. He seems to be like the perfect player if I needed somebody to play through an ankle injury to like still be effective. So um, Butler, I think could still be a, a handful for the Knicks on a, on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, the reality is 80% of playoff Jimmy is better than like 99% of, of anybody else you're going to get out. Yeah. Just in terms of heart, um, you know, just the, the way he motivates his troops. Um, and then, you know, in the clutch, he's not afraid to take the big shot. He's made a ton of big shots. Um and we saw in game two, the kind of the other guys on, on the Heat did their job for the first 43 minutes of the contest. Yeah. Um, that final five minutes is when Brunson and Hart and those guys made big plays and the Heat didn't have anybody to respond. Um, that's when Hero would have taken shots. That's when Jimmy Butler would have taken those big buckets. Um, and obviously they didn't have that. So, um, yeah, listen, I, if, if – if, I, I, you have to assume the, the, the Knicks are fully preparing him for, for him to be there. Um they're going to have to adjust accordingly. I guess the one thing we could see, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if um, Butler starts off on Brunson the way he did game one. Yeah. You know, they, do they try to hide him a little bit defensively and not kind of have him the herky-jerky Brunson, you know, you know, test his ankle? Um, but make no mistake, whoever he's guarding, whether it's RJ, get RJ in some some high pick and roll, get him going downhill. Um, if he is guarding Brunson, make him, you know, ISO top of the key and, and make him move those ankles, yeah. make him move laterally, laterally. Um, you know, really test him out, make sure he's good to go, assuming he is. Um, but that's something that uh, you, you want to find out early because if it's an issue, um, it's something you want to keep attacking. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks were, were rightfully so destroyed, essentially, for not going at him in game one after he had the ankle injury when he was clearly – not himself and not uh, going to be an effective individual defensive player. And the Knicks ran almost no plays through him down the stretch and they lost that game in game one. You would think that they would have to try to test him early. I actually wonder when I was thinking of make a good point about hiding Jimmy, potentially I'm thinking maybe they put him on heart, like hearts, the guy that's been looked at as clearly the guy they're willing to shoot. 
a guy that they're willing to roam off of. And if you're a guy who's maybe not 100, maybe that's the kind of role you want Jimmy in. Maybe not necessarily having to uh, guard a guy one on one who's going to be trying to attack. Maybe guard a guy who's kind of seen as an outlet. So Hart could end up being the guy that he gets put on because RJ has been very aggressive in the series. I, I mean, I think that it, I don't know if you really could hide him on RJ like with the way RJ's in playing right now. So uh, Hart might be the guy that that he he ends up checking, which would in a way maybe be good for the Knicks because now you don't have to worry about cross matchups. Like Hart, that's the guy he's guarding. That's his man. So you don't have to worry about guys getting lost in transition. How many plays did we see in game one where Jimmy Butler was leaking out on those long outlet passes yes. uh, where he's guarding Brunson, Brunson misses a shot and they're throwing him out and because you know they don't have the right matchups. So if he does guard Hart, that a the Butler, who's an excellent defender, if he's guarding a guy who's your maybe your, one of your worst offensive players on the team, that helps you. But I think also even from the Knicks' standpoint, from how they want to match up defensively, that also may help them as well. Um, when we talk about, I want to ask you a question about the Knicks in terms of how they win this game from a, a little bit of a different perspective than maybe we've had at least in the Cleveland series. The Knicks played two games. I don't think they played great really in either of those two games that they played for sure. So I want to ask you. What didn't happen in the first two games that you think needs to happen in game three for the Knicks to win? Um, well, I think the, the first and foremost is just making shots. Um, you know, we kind of saw that it's sometimes it's just that simple. Um, yeah. Barrett, Brunson, Randall, and Hart were combined 16 to 32 from three-point territory in game two. Um, those four guys were combined one of 16 from deep in game one. Obviously, Randall didn't play, um, right. but the you know, factoring in you know, no Randall and then having Randall. Um, so that's a big factor. I would say um, the thing they need to do a better job, um, and I would say closing out on shooters, limiting Miami three-point attempts. I don't know if that's as big an issue with Butler on the floor um, because right. his usage rate is going to go up. And they'll, you know, obviously you still want to prevent those guys from shooting threes, but um, that doesn't have to be the kind of the sole focus of your defense. They have to worry about the double Jimmy, the shade towards him a little bit. Um, I think one of the key things for the Knicks going forward um, is one to get Grimes on the floor more, um, something they probably didn't do yeah. enough of. In, certainly didn't do enough of in game one. Then we saw game two, you know, down the stretch, um, Grimes was a big part. But the other thing is they have to figure out how to hide, how to do a better job of hiding Brunson defensively um, because he was toasted um, consistently um, on the defensive end by Miami. So the Knicks have to kind of figure out ways to prevent that from probably continuing going forward. Yeah, it felt it felt to me like staying on the Brunson point that the Knicks' defensive principles it felt like the Heat figured them out very quickly. It felt like to me, and that's why they were able to expose the Knicks and get too many wide open threes and and, and open baskets. They were getting a lot of layups in Game One, and in Game Two they're getting all these threes. The Knicks are going to have to be more fluid with how they guard pick and roll coverages and how they cover screens. Um, you know, I, what, I, was, I, yeah. I meant to mention this on the other pod after game one and after game two, I'm surprised um, Tibbs hasn't made a bigger stink in the media when talking to reporters about the illegal screens that Miami yes. is setting. Because we do see that sometimes, you know, and it, you, complaining during games never really makes a big difference. But sometimes when you make a big point of it and harp on it in post game and after practice sessions, that can kind of get in the referees and have them notice yeah. it and have them focus on it. Um, so I'm surprised he hasn't done that. We'll see if they do it soon. Um, you know, again, not that it's going to turn the tide in the series, right. but to your point, um, it's, you know, it, it, it would impact. Yeah, because they, they're, they're, they're not covering these screen plays at all, whether they're off the ball, whether they're on the ball. And you're right. I mean, the Heat 
set so many legal screens, it's ridiculous. Now, it's one of those things where it's like holding in the NFL. Yes. Like, could you call on every play, I guess? Yeah. But, yes. like, considering how effective they are, when so many of them are illegal, the Knicks got to do something to make a point about how, hey, they're – I mean, I, I, you know, Caleb Martin does this thing where he, like, leans and, like, puts his, like, his butt out, which is clearly illegal. You're not allowed to do that. Um, Bam does the same thing, especially when he's holding the ball. He'll do that. When the guys are coming around him, he'll go and stick his butt – like, these are clear – legal screens they move they it's it's, it's ridiculous and they kind of remind me of honestly they kind of remind me of the celtics during the real real era like kg would just set Every him and big baby yeah. would just set like illegal screens all game you know and he'd get away with it like the next guy do and it's interesting because josh hart tries to like emphasize because he tries to go through them tries to go around them but they keep calling the files on Hart. Yes. So, so they tell you that's not working either. So I'm surprised Brunson hasn't done more of his kind of flopping off the off the screen. I, I would I expect him to do that a couple times in Game Three. Yeah, because he's just dying, and he's not the only one, but he's been the one that's the worst. That's been obvious where he's just dying on these screens, and guys are getting open look. So the Knicks are gonna have to do a way better job on their screen coverages on the ball. That the bigs are dropping too far in the paint. Um, Gabe Vincent did not really shoot that well against the Knicks during the regular season. But he's shooting the ball well now. So I, I don't know if you should be dropping behind the three-point line when he's coming off a pick and roll. He's a guy looking to fire, and he's making some shots now. Um, on Again, in these off-ball actions, they don't switch enough. Like, there's no reason, unless you have Bam in the action, that you can't switch some of these screens. And then sometimes it seems like these guys are trying to switch, but then the communication isn't right. Like, that, they they got to figure that out. Like, that, that has to be figured out. The Heat do a lot of movement off the ball. A lot of their stuff is this kind of, it's not random action, but to someone who maybe doesn't follow the game, it looks like random action where guys are just running around because they have Struess and Duncan Robinson guys who can't really be off the dribble. So the only way to get these guys active is to move them around. So like the Knicks got to be much more tighter on their on their screen coverages. The other thing as well, and so something we keep talking about, but I think it's got to be said again, unless maybe I just got to lower my expectations for this player. Like it may quickly just has to, he, he's got to wake up from whatever he's dealing with. Like, the fourth quarter of of, uh, of game two, he had two big buckets in a row to tie the game. Knicks were down four. Looked a little more like IQ, hit a little floater, hit a little jumper. Ironically, at halftime, I was at the arena for the game. Like, he was working on that exact floater and that exact shot that he hit. So, it's kind of ironic to see him then score on those two plays. But, like, I mean, when he is playing the way he played in the regular season, the second half particularly, like, the Knicks become a, a just a different dynamic team offensively. If when he's the guy he's been for most of these playoffs, the Knicks, I think, are very ordinary on offense. And this is not an ordinary defensive team they're playing against. Like, you're going to need to be extraordinary to beat this team. And six points from IQ, you know, I don't know how much he had in game one, but it was not enough. Like, those kind of performances they can't have. He's got to be in double digits for the rest of the series. And if he's going to continue to not be aggressive or not look for a shot, then they got to look elsewhere. Like, we talked about it with R.J. Barrett, and we talked about, oh, should they sit him? Should he lose his minutes? And then R.J. responded quickly. No, his minutes haven't been the way they were in the regular season. But if he's not giving you anything, I mean, the Knicks could use his main defenders on the floor as they can. You can throw out there Deuce McBride to chase Duncan Robinson or chase Max Struess to maybe give, uh, you know, to maybe give Jalen Brunson some rest or maybe sit, um, um, you know, even IQ at times, like, they, he needs to step up. This, 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 this. What he's doing in this postseason is is far below his regular season standard. Especially with Brunson hobbled, you know, clearly yeah. less than one hundred percent. You know, this way, if if IQ is playing well, you can buy Brunson a little more extra extra rest in the first half, in the third quarter, um, so he's a little bit fresher down the stretch. 
Um, but yeah, I, I do think um, IQ is going to is due for another breakout game. Um, you know, we we had one in the Cleveland series. I think he's going to get one Saturday. Um, again, I think uh, th- that'll be a focal point of the the Knicks offense moving forward. Um, and Hart, to his credit, Josh Hart did a good job talking about how I need to do a better job of getting quickly um, some good looks. You know, I want to be aggressive. I want to attack the basket. You know, break in transition, delayed transition. But I also need this. I noticed when watching tape. Um, Hart said that I that I missed IQ on on a couple kickouts that he could have uh, been open for three pointers. So um, that's something I I think we I, I expect a, a nice little bounce back game from IQ in in uh, game three. Um, question for you: uh, the Grimes yeah. versus Hart starting situation. Where do you where do you land there? Do you think stick with Hart or put Grimes back in the starting unit? Yeah, I mean I think for now it's so it's so tough. I think I think I'll give Hart another game. But I think this will be – I'm very curious what the Heat will do in terms of how they defend the Knicks in this next game because they played a ton of zone in game two, which is absolutely part of their defensive strategy. Like, they play a lot of zone during the regular season. They really didn't play a lot of zone in game one, uh, which I guess was – when I watched game two, it was actually a little surprising. Like, oh, wow, they really didn't go to zone very much, especially since how poorly the Knicks have been shooting. I think Sposer saw how bad they were in game one and said, okay, look, we really got to put the zone on them and see what happens. And the zone was very effective for three quarters. Um, if they're going to – I want to see how the Knicks do against the zone in game three. And maybe maybe this is one of those things, maybe you make adjustment too late. But I, I think I want to see – because if the if Josh Hart started shooting the ball well in the fourth quarter, Knicks started making shots in, in the fourth quarter, I kind of wonder if they can take that good shooting into this game. You know, if that's not the case – then I think maybe in game four, you make the adjustment and say, okay, we got to have a shooter out there earlier in the game so that they can't get into a rhythm in that zone and we can get a guy who we know can get knockouts. So I would keep Hart in there. I also think I want Hart in there to start on Butler to start this game, this game particularly. Like, I think I'm not married to him starting the rest of the series, but I think him coming off an injury, I want him seeing Josh Hart as soon as he steps on that floor and him to be in his chest pretty much for the entire game. Like, I think that kind of sends a kind of a statement. I think maybe if Butler goes out there, he starts game one, game three, thinking about his ankle, and he sees Quentin Grimes coming to the starting line, I think he kind of exiles a little bit. He's like, okay, like, good defender, but a guy's a little smaller. A guy I know I have the strength advantage over, like, you know, younger player. I think, you know, he sees Josh Hart come in there, stand right next to him at that, you know, outside that circle during the tip-off. I think it's a different atmosphere. I think he knows, okay, it's game time. And I want him to think, yes, this is going to be, a fist fight for the rest of the series. So I, that's, that's one of the main reasons I also think I would stick with Josh Hart. Yeah. Uh, I'm on the fence as well. I think I'd probably actually lean towards Grimes. Cause if you're not mm-hmm. committed to starting Hart for the rest of the series, for the rest of the postseason, uh, maybe get back to, you know, kind of what was working well at the end of the regular season um, or what worked well at the start of the, the Cleveland series. Obviously, Hart excelled as a starter, um, you know, later in that series as well. So can't go wrong. You know, I don't think it makes a big impact one way or the other in terms because they're both going to, you know, you know, Hart's going to be on the closing five. Um, you know, Grimes is going to get his minutes. Um, but I just think the, the the offense that I saw in the second half of the fourth quarter um, in game two, I yeah. think was really encouraging. Um, 
And I thought that spacing that Grimes provides uh, by dragging that that extra help defender, weak side, strong side, um, away from the middle of the floor really benefited uh, Brunson. Kind of, you know, kind of unlocked him a little bit um, and, yeah. and got everybody else kind of flowing and into the groove. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out, um, you know, going forward. I don't think it's a, a major point, but I do think it's probably something Tibbs has gone back and forth with. So I'll be interested to see what he decides. And one thing about Grimes, too, which we saw in that fourth quarter, is he's also a really good transition player. He had a huge bucket uh, in transition, an and one yes. on, a, on a breakaway layup. A like beautiful, he, he's able, on a beautiful pass by Hardenstein. Beautiful pass by Hardenstein. Like, like that, like he has, he has that element, too. So yep. um, it's definitely not going to be an easy decision. Knowing Tibbs, I, I think there's no chance he adjusts. He makes a pre-adjustment before something bad happens. You know him; he's gonna just ride something until it looks like it's completely dead. Then he's gonna try to make the adjustment super late. So I would expect that hard starts. But yeah, the Grimes question is an interesting question. Like I, I told you after game one, I think I would start him in game two. So, um, but then Jimmy didn't play. Knicks won a game, so that now I think I would give Hart one more and see how this goes. Like especially given this is Butler's first game back. Um, do you think this is a must-win game for the Knicks here? Like, like, do you think they have to win game three? Uh, I wouldn't call it a must-win because I do think there is a path to winning the series, even if they lose Saturday. Um, obviously more difficult, obviously more challenging, yeah. more likely. Um, but I do think I, 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 they. I think that obviously they have to split. They have to. They have to get one of these two games in South Beach. So whether that's Monday night or Saturday afternoon. Um, I would still, I would still feel confident that they could steal one, even if they lose Saturday. They could steal Game Four. Um, obviously, you like to get Game Three, have it in your pocket, and then you know get greedy and get Game Four and really try to put a hammer lock on the series. Um, but yeah, I don't think I would, I would classify it as as a must win. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a must win. I think when I, you know we look at that last series, the Heat did win. Um, you know, Game Three, they kind of were, they won comfortably over Milwaukee. You know, and then Game Four. They were, you know, they were down most of that game. Like I think sometimes game three for that home team coming back that haven't gotten the split, that's a that's a very tough game to get. I think that that team usually has a lot of emotion. Uh, we saw with the Knicks in, in game three when that when uh when yep. uh Cleveland yep. came to the Garden. Yep. I mean Cleveland lost that game as soon as they entered the arena. That's how uh, hot the Garden was. That's how uh, locked in the Knicks were as a team. Like it, it's very hard to then go in and, and get that game. And then you usually see game four again. Cleveland had a much better game four. They competed in the fourth quarter and they weren't able to finish. The Bucks were kind of blowing out the heat. So inexplicably uh, blew that game. Jimmy Butler goes crazy and then they lose. So game four, maybe the game to really circle for the Knicks saying, hey, this is the game that's going to be our most advantageous to get here. Now, it doesn't mean you come into game three saying, oh, we're going to lose. But just understand that you're going to get Robbie hit with a tsunami in game three. Jimmy Butler's coming back. A lot of emotion. Yeah. A lot of, you know, what that's going to do for the other players, seeing him on the court, that's probably going to lift their energy, lift their confidence a little bit as well. So this is going to be a tough game to get. I don't think the Knicks can't get it. Like, I think, you know, Josh Hart spoke about it because someone, one of the media members asked him, you know, why are they so much better at home, or on the road rather than at home? He said, one, less distractions, but, you know, two, like, you know, we're able to, one, with less distractions, we love to lock in, but two, the Knicks fans are everywhere. And in many ways, sometimes it feels like a home game playing in these arenas. I think that was also smart, smart comments by Josh Hart. And maybe he's at his first time in the playoffs, understanding you got to play the media game, telling those Knicks fans in South Beach, hey, one of the things that has helped us during this season has been the Knicks presence at these other arenas. 
Knicks have fans everywhere, but we know their biggest presence is yeah. in Florida. Yeah. So I, I thought that Hart was not just kind of talking off the cuff. I think that he was kind of sending a message to MSG South saying, hey, you got to just show up in a big way on Saturday. So I think, you know, the Knicks being such a good road team, the Knicks being able to um, – it seemed like – I agree with him. They, they seem to focus and just play with a lot more poise on the road than they even do at home. I think the Knicks will play pretty well. I don't know if they win this game because, again, I think a lot of the things are going against them. But I don't think that this is a game where I expect the Knicks to get blown out. I, I think that the rest of this series we probably won't see too many blowouts. I thought game one would probably be close in the fourth quarter. I thought game two would probably, even though that Butler wasn't around, I thought it would be close in the fourth quarter. I think game three will be tight. Yeah. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I think game four will be tight. You know, this is what we expect from the series. The series is a rock fight. You know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a grudge match, and there'll be a lot of physicality, and especially with the only one days. You know, it seems like you know walking off the floor after game two, guys were holding their back and their hip, and yeah. um, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of physical play um you know this isn't the warriors and lakers running up and down and shooting threes um it's a different type of a different brand of basketball um and there are competitors and dogs on both sides so it'll be uh it should be fun to watch but yeah i expect a, a tight close game you know there'll be uh, ups and downs and and then you know some big leads maybe here or there but uh you know by the time we arrive at crunch time i expect it to be uh you know a, a one possession game yeah, Knicks Heat, big one. Game three, you can catch that. Uh, that's going to be on Saturday, three thirty on ABC. So that's an ABC afternoon till. So make sure you guys are got your DVRs ready, or make sure you got your schedule ready. You know, sometimes these games, these weird times, now can be a little tricky. So that's going to be and now networks finding which network they're going to be on a little tricky as well. Like I thought, last night's game was going to be on TNT. You know, it's like ESPN. I don't know. You know, the Warriors and Lakers played last night. So uh, ABC three p.m. three thirty uh, Eastern. Um, in Miami, so should be a really good game. So let's we talk about game two. It feels like the residual effect from game two is carried over the rest of the week, and it's not necessarily so much about the Knicks win, though. Of course, people are still talking about the Knicks win, and this uh, appears to be a, a really competitive series. Um, but it seems like some of the celebrity sightings at the Garden in game two are creating even bigger headlines than even the series itself. So. I want to begin with Carmelo Anthony since this is a Knicks podcast and Carmelo Anthony is one of the more influential Knicks probably, especially of the last two or three decades. So Carmelo Anthony was at game two. He was among the former Nick players that were there. John Starks, Bernard King, Amari Stoudemire. Tim Thomas was there, which was interesting to me. I know he's been at a couple of games, but like even if I did show them on the Jumbotron, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, but shout out to Tim Thomas. So like, Melo's among these guys. He's one of the Garden former Nick players there. And when he showed up on the Jumbotron, first of all, he got a huge ovation. I was there. So it was probably the loudest ovation all night. Maybe with the exception of Aaron Rodgers, but I think he probably even got a bigger one. Um, so he gets this large ovation. But on the Jumbotron, when they, you know, label him under his lower third, it says Nick's legend. Now, that apparently became a little controversial on social media because Nick fans and NBA observers who saw the video and saw the pictures of, of, of the Jumbotron that showed Melo being labeled as a Nick legend, they took umbrage with this. Uh, social media people, some people were not happy. You had even WFAN and own uh, Brandon Tierney, Sal Akata, both guys on Twitter I saw them. Shout out to both of those gentlemen. I know them. They're great dudes. They both said that Melo is not done enough to be deemed a Nick's legend. Now, Carmelo played six and a half years in New York. 
He was named an all-star six times. He was uh he averaged 24 points a game, averaged seven rebounds in the Knicks uniform. But while only making playoffs three times, he's only won one playoff series as a member of the Knicks. So I ask you the question, Tommy. Is Carmelo Anthony a Knicks legend? Well, I mean, this just gets into the whole, you know, dynamic of, of semantics of, of what exactly legend is. What was BT's and Salicata's rationale for him not being a legend? Kind of what was their argument? They, they both, both of them, from what I understood, was he, he only won one playoff series. How can you be a legend if you only won one playoff series? Here's my thing. The one tweet I did see on this was from Tierney, and he said there's only four. I don't know if he used the term legends or icons, or but he said there's only four in Knicks history. Um, you know, Clyde, um, Willis Reed, Patrick Ewing, and Bernard King, which to me, yeah. King isn't doesn't belong in that list. You know, like mm, there's, there's 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 a top tier in Knicks hierarchy. You know, it's Patrick. Clyde and, and Willis Reed. And then there's other guys underneath that. Um, but Willis Reed doesn't, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Bernard King doesn't belong in that for much of the same reason, just didn't have the same playoff success, sustained success over a long period of time. Um, so yeah, isn't it is, is Carmelo a Knicks legend to me? Yes, I believe so. Um, you know, holds the all time garden scoring record, um, you know, consecutive multiple all-star games as a Nick. Um, uh, the best player on a 54 win team, uh, the, the most successful regular season team this entire century. Um, they, yes, he only got to the second round one time, but that's the only time the Knicks have got to the second round prior to this season, this century. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, you know, all things, all factors considered, um, you know, an elite offensive talent, um, one of the league's leading scorers. I believe he led the league in, in scoring, actually, that, that year that they won. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, so, I mean, those those are that, that's the resume of, of a legendary player. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, it depends I mean, if, if you're only counting, you know, if legendary status is you have to win a championship or get to the finals or, uh, you know, be one of the NBA's, you know, 50 greatest players, whatever the case might be, you know, then, then, you know, obviously Mel spent half his career in Denver. Um, you know, we can have that conversation, but to me, um, you know, Starks is a legend, Oakley's a legend and, and certainly mm. Melo's a legend as well. Interesting. So I think that it's kind of ridiculous to not think that Melo isn't a legend a Knicks legend at least because if the issue with Melo is the team didn't win I just feel like this is something that feels like a very like basketball bias kind of like criteria right because I feel like there are other sports where like there's no way you would say this player wasn't legend because they didn't win like I love BT shout out to BT he loves Don Mattingly don't make the teams were ass (laughs) okay like they were terrible teams and I think Don Manley's a, a Yankee legend. I know BT thinks Don Manley is a Yankee yes. legend. And nobody would say Don Manley is not a Yankee legend. But we don't say, well, his team didn't win, so therefore he's not a legend. Um, I think you say the same thing for a lot of baseball players in general, like a guy that just left the Mets, Jacob deGrom. Uh, the, the Mets did go to one World Series with him, but a lot of missed playoffs, a lot of times where they weren't competing. His best years as a Met, the Mets were terrible. Jacob DeRon, a Met legend? I mean, he's the second best pitcher besides Tom Seaver, as far as I'm concerned. Like, and I think there are football guys. You can you can make a lot of these same arguments as well. Like, I think with basketball, because we think of so much that one guy can make or break a team winning a championship or going far in the playoffs, that we harp on, well, if you don't win, then you don't deserve any credit. And I think sometimes we go too overboard on that. Like, Carmelo Anthony is one of the most talented players I've ever played for this. Carmelo Anthony... 
from a statistical standpoint in terms of where he ranks in career points, where he ranks in games played, all that, all those things. He's near the top of the list when it comes to Nick Legends. I don't know how you could say Melo, because his team didn't win enough, isn't a legend based on his resume. And I also think you got to go relative to, like, the time that he played. The Knicks actually won a lot compared to the 20 years yep. that yep. he in, in, in the contemporary time. Like, if you're talking about people who grew up watching the Knicks from 2000 to maybe, let's say, 2021, this seems like a new era that's been created since Tibbs and Randall and Leon Rose have all come in here. Like, the only years you have are mellow. Like, the only years you have are went to the playoffs twice. One, one, uh, no, we got knocked out of the first round. And then one year we went to the Eastern Conference semifinals. Like, I don't like... I don't know why, why we how you look at that and say, well, based on everything else, like nobody's saying stuff on Marbury's a legend. Like I don't, I, I mean, I also think he should be lumped in with the Marbury's and those guys of the world and the you know the David Lee's. Like he's a he's a class above that. Clearly, he was a, a one of the best players in the NBA while wearing a Knicks uniform. Yep. Listen, uh, Ernie Banks. You know he's, he's right. certainly a Cubs legend, Mister Cub. Yeah. Um, my guy, Barry Sanders, I have his jersey framed right over to my left. Won one playoff game in his entire career. Yeah, Archie, um, and- Archie Manning playing for the Saints. Like, you're going to say Archie Manning is not a, 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 you know, not a Saints legend? Those, those guys were the, were the worst team in the NFL for a lot of those years. Those guys are the definition of legend. So, right. yeah, you, you can't have a solely based on winning. Um, it, should winning get factored in, you know, like – would Starks be a legend if he didn't play in the nineties? No, you know, and then, but, course, but he did. Right. Um, so th- therefore he, you know, he gets this special credence. So yeah, I can't, uh, I, I gotta go with Melo as a legend. So then, and I think we've talked about this before, but I want to bring up the topic again, because I've been pro this situation though. I think, and, and I, what I've found is that like, it seems like the older generation, the Gen X generation has been, those have been to me the, the most ardent mellow detractors from what i found so i ask you do you think Melo's number should go in the rafters that's where it gets tricky for me i i tend to be a little bit more uh, uh as, as mike and the mad dog would say a hard grader um when it when it comes to that you know specific distinction um i think that probably should be reserved for you know really you know again that should be something that you, you have to win a championship to get in that club or at least make a finals run or um i wouldn't be mad i wouldn't make a big stink about it um i think he deserved it um i think his fan i think a lot of nick fans would appreciate it and i really don't have a problem with it um but i guess if i had to if it was up to me to make the decision i'd probably lean against it um while he's still a legend i think again it's like you know there there's the you know the players that get into the hall of fame you know they've talked about having an inner sanctum you know like a you know there's yeah. levels to the hall of fame it's, it's that type of thing um and make no mistake a- another reason Melo's a legend he's a first ballot hall of fame right yeah player. um so it's you know when he's pretty much synonymous with the you know is even though he started out his career in denver most people think of him as a nick um so you know when, when a player gets into the hall of fame as a, as a no-brainer first ballot right. guy um it's hard to, to, to argue that he's not a legend yeah and that's a good point too because i think that like his hall of fame credentials like a big part of it is him being a nick you know it's yes. not like oh well you know he's all the hall of fame stuff because of what he did in denver right but, right no no like no. he like a lot of it is because of what he did with Knicks. Half of his yep. all-star appearances essentially were with yep. the Knicks. So, yep. like, yeah, I think that's a great point too. But yeah, I've been for putting Melo's number in the hall in the in the rafters. Like, in in terms of, in terms of like, would he be the first guy I go to? No, like, 
Bernard King's number should be up there. Yes. Like, and I'm hoping whenever Julius Randle leaves, and I'm not necessarily throwing him out right now, but whenever he leaves, I'm hoping that they throw the 30 up there. Um, part of me feels like, I don't know how you feel about this. I've had this weird theory that the reason why Bernard King gets those great courtside seats on the baseline is like Dolan's way of like saying, hey, I know we don't have your number in the rafters, but like here's these great seats. Because like he's one of the few Nick players that has like it looks like season tickets. And I can't imagine he's paying for those because he's there almost every night. Yes. So I feel like that is and for whatever. I don't know what the holdup is. I don't know what Dolan's issue is with putting king's number up there but it feels like this has been some kind of consolation prize now those are sweet seats but like I, that's always been my theory that the reason why bernard king gets those great seats and he's there every night is in part because dolan knows his number should be up there but for some reason he's not doing it i just it's it is bizarre i just i, I, I obviously you're not going to get dolan on the record but I, I i do wonder like you know i'm sure people have asked them i'm sure you know you know uh msg ops and operations yeah. staff and then all those other guys and um you know even when the even when the team was you know awful during those years maybe just for a night or a week you know have a bernard king kind of celebration get some people out and kind of generate some some positive interest um so yeah i agree with it is it is odd that he's not up there yeah like to me like if it, it for for when i think of legend status or i think of number retiring there's like two clear things one did you win a championship Two, if you did not win a championship, were you a top 10 player in your yeah. league when you were playing for the team for a considerable amount of time? Right. Bernard King and, and Carmelo Anthony answered check number two very easily with that. So, like, because, like, to me, the question becomes, okay, well, what about, like, my guys? What about Allen Houston? What about Latrell Sprewell? I, I, I would not put their number up there because they didn't win it and they weren't great enough in terms of where they were among, like, their peers in the NBA to say, okay, like they, they go up there. Like I, I would, I would hold it to those guys. I think the best players in your, I think the, the, the numbers being retired or guys being named legends to be reserved for guys who are the best players who uh, in your franchise history or guys who won championships. And then we can kind of move you up the line, you know, and, and that's why it makes it tricky with guys like Starks and Oakley. Cause those guys were like role players, but they were so right. instrumental to teams that were so close that those guys become very hard. Like John Starks was my first favorite Nick ever. So I, I always say John Starks is a legend. I wouldn't put his number in the rafters, but like it, that to me is always the big things is it, it, you want a championship. No. Okay. Well, where were you among the greats in the NBA? Oh, you were a top five player at one point. Come on, Anthony Bernard King. Okay. Yes. You are definitely a Knicks legend. I'll put your number in the rafters. No problem. So yeah, I, I thought this was a fascinating conversation. Mellow, Continues to be the most polarizing. Yeah. He may be the most polarizing Nick player ever. Like every day on Twitter, like it's a, I get a different or any social media app or any TV show or podcast. I get a different feel for where people are on mellow. Like I personally felt like the thoughts on mellow have been softening, which I was a little upset about. Cause I, I've been defending Mel this whole time, but people who know me, like I, I have a lot of criticism about Kamalansky's time as a Nick. But like, I felt like everybody was just kind of all we we're all loving Mellow and that you know he was underappreciated and everything. So I was surprised that when they put up Nick's legend, I didn't even think twice about it when I was at the Garden. I saw it there, and I didn't think twice about the standing ovation he got. But then it was social media that came out and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out, time out! What are we doing here?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess maybe this isn't how how we feel." So it just seems like. Oh, uh, where the wind blows is kind of where people feel on Melo's career as a Nick. 
Yeah, I think, and you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of it's generational, you know, like for, for Nick fans that are 20 years old, their best Nick memories, you know, a lot of it involved Carmelo Anthony. And then, oh, for, yeah. the, and then for the older crowd, you know, they that, that saw the, the Houston and the Star, the Houston and the Spreewell run, and, and then go back a few more years and that, that, that saw the Ewing and then, you know, saw Ewing and his greatness probably, you know, or, you know, don't think as highly of Melo because they can, their memories compare, you know, compared to, um, you know, guys that played both ends of the floor, you know, that guys yep. that, 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 you know, were a little bit, a little that were and better selfish. defenders and, yeah. and cared more on that, on that end of the floor, a little bit more unselfish and weren't, didn't care as much about scoring, et cetera. Um, part of that is because roster construction and Melo need to do it. And we can talk about that for, yeah. for, for, for hours, but uh, you're right. I, I, I do believe that he is one of the most polarizing players in franchise history. No question. Yeah, well, it was great to see Melo there. It was great to see him. Great to see Cayenne there, his son, who I remember he was, you know, uh, I remember he was like uh, uh, Julius Randle's son's age, you know, yep. going in the game. Yep. And now seeing him, uh, of course, he's a, he's, he's a really good player at Christ Candle. He's transferring. But um, but it was good to see him sitting there with, with Melo there. And and, Mel's, and also see Melo, like, celebrating, like, the Knicks win was really yeah, cool. Yeah, that was cool. Like, like Melo, Melo, by all accounts, is a really good dude, people know him. But like he kind of has this like too cool for school kind of yeah. like thing about him, to where I I never thought I would see him celebrating a team that he wasn't playing for currently like that. I don't know if I've seen Mel celebrate for teams that he was playing <laughs> in games that he was playing. Right. We just, that's just not who he is, you know. To see him like genuinely enjoying himself like that in that atmosphere was really cool. Um, so I I love that. So shout out to uh, Carmelo Anthony and um. Yeah, it's a very interesting conversation about his next career. I'm sure as we do this podcast, as we go into offseason, we'll have plenty more conversations about Melo's career. But the, the other celebrity situation that created headlines as well stem from people who are not Knicks, though. This all started with Nick inviting a celebrity. So it was a star-studded night at Mass Square Garden, and one of the celebrities who made an appearance was actress Jessica Alba who was, we learned later, invited by Julius Randle. How she knows Julius Randle, how Julius Randle knows her, I have no idea. Like, when I learned how old Jessica Alba is, I'm not saying she's old, just the age gap between her and Julius Randle, that made it even more confusing how they're friends, I guess. But uh, Julius Randle invited Jessica Alba to this game. She put it on social media, thanking Julius Randle for the invite and posted a whole video of her and one of her friends sitting courtside. And I'll tell you, being there, when they showed Jessica Alba, she had... She might have the second biggest um, ovation behind Melo. Like, it was either her or Aaron Rodgers and Sauce. That's how crazy people went when they saw Jessica Alba on the big screen. So, her appearance created some buzz on social media. Then, apparently, I, I saw on Twitter people were talking about her appearance uh, at the game. And then things got interesting when Sauce Gardner, just cornerback, you know, all pro rookie of the year defensively, he admitted to new Jets QB Aaron Rodgers. Both those guys were in attendance. That he did not know who Jessica Alba was when Aaron Rodgers had told him, hey, you know, we're going to be sitting close to Jessica Alba. He was like, oh, I don't know who that is. Which Alba then confirmed because she says that she got to meet Sauce Gardner and Aaron Rodgers during the game. Said that he was a really nice, you know, guy and it was a great, you know, interaction. But that, yes, he did not know who Jessica Alba was. So it led to the question, and I'm going to ask you, do you think Jessica Alba is famous enough that everyone should know who she is? 
I would think yes. Um, you know, as as someone in their you know uh, early forties, um, she's probably more my demographic than than Sauce Gardner. Um, but uh, you know, she was a big star. Um, and I also saw some. The, the reason you can't take social media because some people say, "Why do people think she's so attractive?" And listen, oh, yeah. if you can't if you can't acknowledge Jessica yeah, Alba's beauty, then, then, then we have a problem. Then we can't even yeah. start the conversation. But um, yeah, I, 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 what's the age difference? What, how? What? What's? What's the? What, so Jessica Alba, I believe, and I like to check yesterday. I checked real quickly now, but I believe she's forty three. Okay. Um, looks absolutely great for forty three, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's 40. Yeah, she's 43, 42. Sorry, 42. Okay. So Randall, I guess, is 27. So I mean, okay. it's a 15 year gap. You know, okay. I was like, okay. I saw that. I was like, well, how do they? I mean, celebrities, no celebrities, but I guess Randall, Randall, he's he, Randall and his family do strike me as people who really enjoy the perks of New York City. But yeah. they don't strike me as like people who are friends with a lot of celebrities. That, that's not ever been their like thing to me. So I was surprised that like they clearly know Jessica Alba, like I, or they knew him well enough that he they were able to invite them and sit them courtside like that. Well, let's me, let's let's hope for for Julius that it is a they and not a he. Let's hope oh, yeah. that his wife <laughs> was involved in it and part. Well, I'm shooting I'm shooting Randall all the bail by just assuming that. That's why I'm giving <laughs> I'm giving the good brother Julius all all the bail, saying yes, I'm sure him and his wife are friends, and that's why that they okay. uh that they push this out there as, yes. as our producer jj noted like if, if randall has a sore back uh it's because he's been sleeping on the couch for the last three days <laughs> let's hope it doesn't impact uh you know uh the, the next going forward here <laughs> exactly so like so here's the thing i i agree like it was very interesting because i'm i'm no i'm 30 Two, I had a birthday recently. Um, thirty-two. So I also feel like Jessica Alba is like very much in my era too. Like your like adolescence, teenage years. Like that's when she's like you know seen as the hottest actress in Hollywood. So like I think like millennial, late millennial, really young Gen X or like this is like your your wheelhouse. But I I I'm gonna give Sauce Gardner a little bit of a pass here. Like Alba is 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 a beautiful woman. She's been in big movies, but she hasn't done a lot recently. I think that's probably why he didn't know who she was. And I kind of believe him. Like, I I think that he, I think that like, he said like, oh, like when I saw her, like she was familiar. And I feel like that I could understand. But I feel like me telling you, oh, that's this person. I can see him saying, well, I don't know who that is by name. Like I, when you look at her filmography, look what she's done recently. She's done a lot of smaller projects, a lot of smaller TV shows. She hasn't had, done anything that's been like a big blockbuster. She has a lot of like philanthropy work and a lot of business stuff now. So like, you know, it seems like she's kind of transitioned a little bit out of like the mainstream Hollywood to some degree. So I think it's understandable that a guy who's like 21, 22 years old, yeah. like just might not know who Jessica I was. I mean, Sin City was like in 2005, I think. Like Sauce would have been like six, you know, like he shouldn't have been watching Sin City at six, seven years old. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, maybe he watched Fantastic Four, but like, yeah, that movie was bad. Like he very well could have missed those two movies. Like, so I, I I'm not surprised he didn't know who she was. Like, um, some people thought it was funny that he he didn't know who Mari Stoudemire was because like you know Aaron Rodgers was like, hey, do you know who that is? He's like, I know Amari Stoudemire. But then people were like, I mean, Amari Stoudemire was a star in the NBA when he was you know a kid as well. Like, you know, should he have known that? But he's a young boy probably playing sports. Like, I'm not surprised that he knew who a stat was. But, uh, but, I mean, all these athletes, 
I think the fans would be surprised just how and and um, Pat Bev made some noise this week when he said, you know, players don't love the game or yeah. half the players that he's played with. Them. Like, I don't think fan. I think fans think just because a guy plays in the NBA or the NFL that they like grew up, war- you know, are huge yeah. fans of the sport and watched every game. You know, a lot of times, you know, one of the one of the players that got drafted uh, in the NFL last week, they asked them, you know, AFC North. I think he was got drafted by the Bengals, and they said, you know, you know, are you ready? for the rivalries like honestly i don't even know who is the teams in our division you know like yeah. these guys just kind of focus on you know what they do and you know have outside interests in movies or rap you know what whatever, whatever the case yeah. might be they just aren't familiar i was actually um at um uh it was one of the early it was a preseason practice actually early in the year and i mitchell robinson walked over to the um head of the the uh Knicks PR and he said why do we have number six on our jersey you know like he just didn't oh, wow. know who, who Bill Russell was you know wasn't yeah. you know I that wasn't familiar that he had passed away and so you know it's oh okay okay I'm sure he knew you know when he heard he, he put it to two and two together but um again you know a lot of these guys you know you just assume that they yeah. you know that they follow the sport as closely as we do because we're we're diehard fanatics but um sometimes they just are playing the sport because they're great at it and they 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 thought it was a, a way to improve their life station you know yeah and like people forget like this is a different like the guys growing up a lot of you hear the old players say oh i grew up idolizing connie hawkins and dr j but like that was a time where there were so many limited you know avenues for entertainment that like all you did was sit around and watch basketball in that you know two hour block you had and then you know whatever came on on overnight you know you probably didn't even watch because it was not something you wanted to were interested in or the news or whatever so like like it was a different era back then, but now these kids are growing up in the era of video games, smartphones, wireless internet, twenty four seven, you know, streaming services and cable networks. Like, it, it, like there are guys who just like they may like playing basketball, but there's no reason for them to have to like watch basketball or watch football, or watch baseball, whatever they're doing. They may just like playing it, you know. So yeah, I, and I, and unfortunately, that's I think it also kind of stems in these terrible arguments we have when we argue about players from different generations and. You hear so many guys speak so ignorantly about right. players right. from other eras, not realizing what it was like. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, these guys didn't watch and they didn't care to like learn, which no, correct. I don't have an issue with per se, but then don't talk if like if right. you know what you're talking about. That's the issue. And and worse, talk down and and this in a right. disparaging tone. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, on this thing, I really think that this whole Jessica Alba story which became a a national story i mean i was doing research on it before the show and like the headlines are from cnn and fox news and like like it, it was picking picked up everywhere like this is all great for the knicks brand and i think it does signal a sign that the knicks really have now hit a different level when it comes to their organization and how they are looked at in at least in america but definitely maybe even in the world like Nick's celebrities have been going to games a lot, but it it was different to see Alba there. Like, because we're used to seeing kind of the same old folks. Like, we're used to seeing Larry David and, you know, Tracy Morgan, of course, Spike. Uh, and, like, we kind of just take those people for granted. But, like, Jessica Alba was seen like one of those people, like, almost because she doesn't do a lot of stuff, where it's like, she ain't coming out unless it's a big event. Like, she wants to be somewhere where people want to be seen. And, like... Big playoff games are the place to be right now in the in America in terms of things that are happening. Like, you know, Lakers are having playoff games. I don't see nobody talking about celebrities that are going to those games. Like Jack went, Jack was there. I know Jack was having some health issues, so great to see Jack Nicholson right. there. Besides him, 
Like, I haven't heard anything about, oh, look at this person who was there. Like, I feel like every time there's a Nick game, there's a different celebrity that's there that people are talking about coming out, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Carmelo Anthony, now Jessica Alba. Like, I think the fact that she wanted to be there and wanted to be seen, I think, says something about where the Knicks are and how great this is for the Knicks brand moving forward. Uh, I went to game one with my dad and the first thing my mom asked, like, oh, did they win? You know, oh, no, okay, that's things. But who, 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 who'd you guys sit near? Like, who was, you know, who else was in the front row? You know, like, what, exactly. did you see any celebrities? You know, that type of thing. It's, because it's it's a, it's a, a bigger common denominator, um, you know, for even casual fans. Um, it's something. And and you have the, the, the intersection of Nick's social media really hyping it up and tweeting yeah. about it and sending TikToks and Instagram reels and all these things that kind of boost the 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 you know so it's it it works hand in hand. The celebrities benefit from from being seen at the garden. The Knicks benefit from having the celebrities at the garden. So they both cross promote it. Um, and when you get hundreds of millions of followers, you know all these you know different influential players, actors, athletes, um, rappers combined, you get kind of a, a social media storm. And that's when you have this type of stuff, which is great for both them uh, and the Knicks brand agreed. Yeah, I, I think that this is this is this is going to be something that's going to be be looked at by other players around the league. Looked at like, wow, these Nick playoff games at MSG—they are an event. Like this, these are not just you know normal playoff games. Like it's a ticket you gotta get if you're a fan. If you're a celebrity, it's a place you gotta be seen at. Like this is huge. So shout out, thank you, Jessica Alba, for showing up. Thank you to Aaron Rodgers who keeps showing up to these games. Like he's made uh, his presence there. I think that that's helped as well. So. Um, yeah, I think this has been absolutely awesome for the Knicks, and let's keep it going. Like, if Knicks get to the NBA Finals, like, oh, the people you're going to see at those games, you're going to see the most famous people in the world at those games. No question. Um, and, and, and I think Jessica Alba may be just the beginning of what you'll be seeing moving forward. So. Jessica Alba won't be able to get a seat if the Knicks make it right. to the Finals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, that's how serious it's going to get. So, um I think that's a good place to leave it, though. So thank you guys again for checking out this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods, a WFN Odyssey original, a podcast hosted, uh, uh, featured on the New York Knicks. Um, this is our last episode of the week. We drop three times a week. So make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Also, check us out on YouTube. Catch us on the Odyssey Sports and the WFN channels on YouTube. Tommy, let's people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. Catch me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.